tonight we are talking about same-sex attraction. So, hold on. Maybe you're newer here. I don't know, but right now we're going through a series called Made for More, and these are not necessarily topics that we talk about every week or anything like that. Of course, um, this is my first time preaching on this uh, since I've been here, but here we try to talk about things that are relevant to our lives, things that are relevant to our culture today, and how is God going to speak into these things? How is the Word of God speaking to these things? How does the Gospel speak into these topics? And so the topic tonight that we're talking about is same-sex attraction. And I am speaking this message tonight that either you yourself or someone that you know, maybe someone close to you, is gay or deals with this. And I wanted to start out tonight with an apology for hypocrisy. I think one of the places that hypocrisy is most blatant in the church, it's most obvious, is on the topic of same-sex attraction. There have been churches uh, back when Hurricane Katrina happened. I don't know what year was that. I don't know if all of you guys were born when that happened, but back when Hurricane Katrina happened or 9-11 happened, there were churches that said that these events took place because of God's judgment on gay people in America. There are churches that have held up signs at funerals saying God hates gay people. I want to tell you guys that is not what Jesus would do. That does not accurately represent Christ. And on behalf of those churches that did those things, I want to apologize for, for people that have done that. Because that doesn't represent Jesus, right? That doesn't represent what his church is supposed to be about uh, to those people. So, your orientation, and it is an orientation, we're going to talk about that. Who you're attracted to doesn't make you better or worse than anyone else. And what we're talking about tonight is, is if you're someone that struggles with same-sex attraction or someone close to you, God's number one goal is not to make you straight. God's number one goal is to make you His. When we come to Christ, we surrender to Him as being the Lord of our life, and what we're doing there is we're allowing him to dictate where we go, what path we're going to walk in our lives. But we all start out the same, at the same place. Romans 3, verse 23, says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is kind of like a great equalizer. The Bible is very clear. We all have fallen short. We've all messed up. Nobody is better than anyone else. Nobody's struggle is better than anybody else's struggle. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. Your sin is not better than someone else's sin. It's not worse either. Sin is sin. It's separation, a deviation from God's path, from God's design for our lives, from God's good design for our lives. That's what sin is. I read this story, uh, a pastor wrote, where there was a family and they had uh, like a, a gay son and their family died and he died from AIDS. And, and they're reaching out to pastor after pastor after pastor trying to find somebody who would do the funeral for their family. And pastor after pastor after pastor refused to do this funeral for this family because he was a gay man who died from AIDS. And finally this one said, of course, of course I'll do that. Because we shouldn't look at that as, as something that's worse. We shouldn't look at those people like they're worse than anyone else. But that's what they were doing. And we need to 
if that's your perspective, you need to change your perspective on that. Everybody has fallen short. Everybody sins. We all have strayed from God's design. What is God's design for sexuality? We talked about this uh, back in, man, I want to say it was like six weeks ago. And if you haven't heard it, you can look up uh, the message on our Instagram. But we talked about how God's design for sexuality is between a man and wife. That is very clear from Scripture that that is God's intention. That is God's design for our lives. That is what He created it for. He is the author of creation. He is the author of sexuality. Therefore, He has the authority to dictate what is best, what is the most healthy sexuality that we can live in our lives. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so we have to have a biblical understanding of sexuality to understand what God created us for, which is why we started out this series talking about the authority of Scripture, our identity in Christ, a picture of marriage. What did God create us for? And so I'm not going to stay on that topic because we talked about it, did a whole sermon on it a few weeks ago. But that is what God created us for. And we have to have a biblical understanding of sexuality to understand how we can live in the more. A lot of gay people go to church and want to know the Bible. I worked at Applebee's um, a few, how long ago was that? A few years back? Yeah, I guess so. And uh, there's, there's a guy there that was a server, and he was gay, and he was a friend of mine. His name was Nelson, and we talked all the time, and he went to church. And me and him, we'd, we'd talk about God, we'd talk about the Bible, and things like that, and, and we had lots of great conversations. It wasn't arguments or anything like that, we just had conversations. And one time, the, the topic of, of being gay came up, and he said there's nowhere in the Bible that it says that this is a wrong lifestyle. That's what he said. And I was like, well, yeah, that is in the Bible. He's like, oh, really? Where? He wasn't like offended. He wasn't like mad or whatever. He was just like, oh, really? Where? So I, was, I gave him a couple of verses and, and he was like, oh, okay. Like, that's interesting. No, maybe he didn't change his perspective, but it kind of like he was open to what the word of God had to say and how that could speak into his life. So he didn't know what the Bible said about same-sex attraction and why it said that. That why question is important. We're going to look in Romans chapter 1. I want to give you guys a little bit of context here. The context of Romans 1 is it's talking about how God's wrath, God's judgment, is revealed against ungodliness. And it gives specific examples of what ungodliness looks like. Of what straying from God's design looks like. It talks about lying, thievery, and things like that. But one of them is a gay lifestyle. And we can look at this in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 21, uh, 24 through 32. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that were contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of all right, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's a lot of lists there, right? Although they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So I'm going to really generalize. That's a lot of verses right there, like a lot of words. But to generalize that, there are two things that are being called out here. One is living in unrighteousness. It gives like this whole list that takes like a few breaths to get through of examples of unrighteousness. So it's calling out living in unrighteousness, but it's also calling out people who approve of those who do. It says right here, though they, uh, kn- though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So it's not only calling out people that practice certain sins, but also people who approve of others that practice certain sins, although they may not practice those things themselves. So those are the two primary things being called out here in Romans 1. And the reason why, the reason why we can't say, okay, that lifestyle is okay for them, but it's not okay for me, is because living in the less isn't okay for anybody. Right? Living away from God's design, it's not okay for me, it's not okay for you. It's not okay for anybody. But why would the Bible say that living a gay lifestyle is sinful when being gay is not something that someone has control over. They can't help it if they feel attracted to someone, so why would God condemn something that feels natural to someone, whether they want it or not? To answer this question, we have to have a correct understanding of what sin is. Sin is not just about what's right and wrong. It's about what's more and less. What's what's better or worse? What is God's healthy design for our life that he created us for? The next point tonight is that we all have a sinful orientation. We all have a sinful orientation. You have a sinful orientation. You have one too. I have a sinful orientation. We are born sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So because Adam and Eve, they sinned for the first time, through them, sin came into our world. And this sin infected the human race like a virus. And it spread to everyone that was ever born. And the evidence of this virus spreading is the symptom, all sin. Right? That's the symptom of having sin in our hearts. We all sin. We all mess up just like we started out. We all fall short. Because that is our nature. Human nature, in the, in the Bible, the Bible says human nature is not in itself a good thing. Human nature is to sin. That is our nature. Your nature means the thing that comes naturally to you. Some of you guys are naturally good singers. Some of you are really not. Right? Some of you guys are natural athletes. Some of you are not. Some of you guys are naturally a really smart person and have a high IQ. So you have some kind of natural talent or something that God has given you. And that's just kind of, it just came natural to you. You're just gifted in that way. It's part of your nature. But all of us have this negative thing in our nature. And it's sin. 
We were all naturally sinners. Nobody had to teach you to lie. How many of you guys had your parents like sit you down when you're two and like, this is how you lie? <laughs> Did that happen? That didn't happen to me. If that happened, like, well, I want to call CPS or something because that's a little weird, right? Like, nobody taught you how to lie. Nobody taught you how to steal. Nobody had to tell you how to want to do the wrong thing. This sin nature is ingrained in us. We can't help it. It's there. It makes us desire the less. It's ingrained in who we are. And in fact, to not sin, to do good, and to live righteously is to go against our own nature. Because our nature is not to do good. And our nature is not to live righteously. So we have an orientation to desire to live differently than God's design. That's what we have. We have an orientation to use our bodies in ways that can hurt ourselves and others. We have an orientation to lie. We have an orientation to lust. And some of us have an orientation to go against God's design and pursue same-sex relationships, romantic relationships. It's an orientation. That's, that's biblical because it, it comes from our sin nature. When you become a Christian, though, you're given a new heart with new desires. But even though you now desire to live righteously, you still have that old sin nature calling you back. And that's kind of this, this struggle that you have as a Christian, that old sin nature. Paul talks about in Romans 7. My nature makes me want to do this, but I don't want to do that. I want to do this instead. I want to live for Christ instead. But because you still have that old nature, you are still going to feel tempted to live in the less. Which brings us to our next point. It's not a sin to feel tempted. It's not a sin to feel tempted. How do we know it's not a sin to feel tempted? This verse right here, Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 14. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This verse is talking about Jesus, our great high priest. The priest would represent people to God and make the sacrifice for them. In the same way, Jesus represents us to God as our great high priest, sacrificing himself for our sins. So he says, this is our great high priest who sympathizes with our weakness. This is our great high priest, God who became a man and struggled just like we struggle. It says, the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Jesus was tempted with every sin you could imagine. You're like, Jesus was tempted? Yeah, Jesus was tempted with that. Jesus was tempted with, yes, Jesus was tempted with that too. Jesus was tempted with every single sin, yet without sin. He did not partake in it. He was tempted to partake in it, but he didn't. Jesus was tempted with same-sex attraction. The Bible says he was tempted in every way. Jesus was tempted with same-sex attraction. Attraction isn't sin unless it turns into lust. You can be attracted to someone without sinning. Sinning is when it turns into lust. Let me give you an example. Like Me and Brianna have been married for a little over two and a half years now, right? Do you think in the past two and a half years... She has never seen an, another attractive guy besides me, and I've never seen another attractive girl besides her in the past two and a half years. Somebody say no. <laughs> right? Right? We live in California. You think Brianna, like, since we've been married, she can look at a, at a picture of, like, Liam Hemsworth 
be like, oh, that's an ugly, like, pig-looking person. No, right? Like, when you're married, like, you're going to feel attracted to other people. That doesn't mean you have to sin and lust after other people, but that's natural, right? You're going to feel attracted to other people. You're going to feel tempted to lust. You're going to feel tempted to do things like that. But that doesn't have to turn into sin. And in the same way, just like a married person could feel attracted or tempted in some way to go outside of God's design, outside of God's design for safe sexuality in marriage, a person can feel tempted in that way or attracted in that way, yet without sin. Someone can feel attracted with same-sex attraction and also without sin as well. So attraction isn't sin unless it turns into lust. So if you have same-sex attraction, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just showing that you have a sin nature just like everybody else. That's what's, that's what's proving. It's proving you have a sin nature just like everybody else. That's going to lead you to desire the less. But when you give your life to Christ, you aren't defined by your sin nature anymore. You're defined as being a new creation. And every Christian has to deal with the challenge of laying down our desires and our control and giving it to Jesus and saying, I give you control. I surrender everything to you. For a heterosexual Christian, a straight Christian, it's, it's giving God their lust in that area of their life and seeking to live a pure lifestyle. For a gay Christian, it's giving to God their lust and temptations and seeking to live a pure lifestyle as well. It's the same. Next point tonight. Temptations are not like magic bunnies. Temptation or not, it's not like magic bunnies. Have you ever seen like the magician and they got like the hat and like the, there's nothing under the hat and then they go like this and there's like a bunny there, right? I don't know how many rabbits have died from this, but I don't know. So they got like the bunny thing and then they make the bunny go away and then the bunny's back and it just goes away. They just magically make this bunny disappear. Temptations don't work like Temptations don't work like magic bunnies. They don't just magically disappear. And here's the problem. Here's what's happened. Is that Christians have taken this particular sin of, of same-sex relationships, romantic relationships, and they treat it like it should be this magic bunny that when you become a Christian, you just shouldn't be attracted to the same sex anymore. Period. That temptation should just be gone for you. Temptation doesn't work that way. You're still going to be tempted. You're still going to have that attraction even after you're a Christian. So if someone except, expects for a gay person to just straight up, just turn straight when they become a Christian, that's actually unbiblical. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If someone says, okay, you're a Christian now, so you just need to stop having same-sex attraction. Just boom. If you really want to love Jesus, you've got to stop that. That's not biblical. The Bible says we're going to have sin in our lives. If we say we don't have sin, if we say we don't have our sin nature, we're liars and the truth is not in us. We're going to have it. We have to acknowledge that to know how to deal with it. We can't just say, this needs to just go away. And I think that's caused a lot of hurt. It's caused a lot of hurt to say, because you have this struggle, because this is your struggle, you don't really love Jesus. That's not true. Someone can have any struggle and still love Jesus and still try to follow him in the, through the midst of that. First John 1 John 1.8 8 
1.8 says, if I, if I say I have no sin nature, then I'm lying. So to ask a gay person to just switch their attractions and become a straight person right away is to ask them to be a liar. It's asking to be a liar. It's not biblical. Can God change attractions? Can God work a miracle there? Absolutely. God can work a miracle there. Not usually. You know what would be amazing is every time you get married, God works a miracle. And for the rest of your life, the only person that you're attracted to is your husband or wife. I don't, I don't know anybody that that's ever happened before. That would be an amazing miracle. But that, that just doesn't really happen, right? You're still going to be tempted. So telling a gay person to just become straight won't help them. Because here's another thing. Guess what? Straight people live in sexual sin too. Probably a lot. Statistically speaking, probably a lot more than gay people. Because there's a lot more straight people. Being straight is not the solution. Jesus is a solution. Everyone's problem is with their heart. It's with our heart. Our heart needs to change before our behavior can change. And that, the last point tonight is that God's desire, God's desire is not to make you straight, it's to make you His. God's desire is not to make you straight, it's to make you His. This is God's number one goal for you in your life. It's that you would belong to Him. God wants a relationship with you. God wants to know you. God wants... God wants for you to know his love and his grace in your life. God uses our temptations and our struggles and our sins to bring us to him. How many of you guys have a struggle or a sin, temptation, or a trial in your life that has made you pray to God more? I have, right? Struggle, sin, temptation, trial. God uses these things to bring us to himself. God doesn't cause us to be tempted, but he allows us to be tempted because that's the thing that's going to drive us to him for his strength. So, if someone's struggle is same-sex attraction, why would I tell, why would you ever tell someone to stop being attracted to someone else of the same sex when that's the thing that God wants to use to bring them to Jesus? That's the struggle that God wants to use to bring to Jesus and understand the gospel in a better way. It's going to help them understand the height, the depth, the width, the riches of the grace of God. I want to close tonight with this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And again, he lists things. You don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Let's pause right there. And such for some of you. Let's pause. He gives this list. He's talking to the church at Corinth. Go back to, to that last slide right there. He gives this list. He's talking to the church at Corinth. He's saying, nobody, nobody that's sexually immoral, nobody that's lusted, nobody that has idols in their life, adulterers, talks about homosexuality, thieves, stealing, greedy. All of us are somewhere on this list, right? All of us are somewhere on this list. It says, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul says, that's what you were before you knew Jesus. That's what your identity was. That's what you were. 
And then his response isn't, okay, you did this, and so the solution here is that all the people that were sexually immoral now, now they're sexually pure. All the people that are idolaters, they're not idolaters anymore. All the people that were adulterers, uh, now they're married. All, all the gay people are straight people. All the thieves uh, share with people. Now those are some behaviors that will change after we give our life to Jesus, right? But the thing that he says is this, is this next verse right here. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. He doesn't say, okay, you were sexually immoral, now you're pure, that's how you know you're good. You used to lie, but now you don't lie anymore, so that's how you know that you're okay now. You used to steal, you don't steal anymore, so that's how you know you're okay now. You used to be gay or practicing homosexual, but, in that, but you're not anymore, so that's how you know you're okay now. The goal of the gospel is not to change your temptations, to change your life. God wants to change your life. You guys, we, we treat this thing like it's like God wants to change my behavior. God wants me to be better and all these different things. And behavior change comes later. But God's goal is to change your life. It's for you to know Him. For you to walk in His design, His good plan for your life. It's not going about from liar to truth teller. It's not about going from gay to straight. It's about going from death to life. From dirty to clean because you are washed, because you're sanctified, because you're justified. That means you're made right with God in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. God wants to do way more than change your behavior. That's surface level. God wants to change your life. God wants to change you at the core of your being. And tonight, no matter who you are tonight, no matter who you're attracted to tonight, no matter, no matter what your struggle, maybe it was one of those other things that was listed. That opportunity is there for you. You can be washed. You can be sanctified. You can be justified. No matter, no matter what you've done. No matter where you come from. That message of the gospel is, is for you. I want to encourage you guys anytime. You want to know more about that. Please reach out. Talk to a leader. That's literally that's why we're here. Ask like what. Let's talk more about this. I don't fully understand. I don't know if I'm ready yet. But I'm just curious. What does this really mean to have my life changed by the gospel? of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for showing us through your word tonight more about what it means to follow you, but specifically on dealing with same-sex attraction. And God, I pray for anyone that's dealing with that, that they would know your grace, that they would know your love, that they would know that your desire, your number one desire is for them to belong to you, God. That you give them the courage and strength to be able to reach out, talk to brother or sister in Christ about that. God, I pray for anyone tonight that does not know you. That does not take you at your word, Lord. That does not take you seriously. That does not really desire to know you, God. I pray that you would put that desire in their heart, that desire that's contrary to their sin nature, Lord. That they would see that you are good and that your plan for them is good and it's better, God, than, than anything else. So they'll see they're made for more. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> All right, guys, I got a uh, quick announcement for you.